Welcome to the Micah Brown Podcast, where we have the most authentic conversations you've ever heard on a podcast. I get the privilege of talking with amazing people every week in a way that lets us really get to know them as a fellow human being, whether it's a CEO, a military service member, an entrepreneur, a former convict, a teacher, a medical professional, or even a university president. They're all just fellow human beings at the end of the day. So join us as we discuss life, obstacles, successes, and much more. Don't forget to subscribe, share, like, and follow. This show is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, pages on all of those. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn where I post things pretty frequently. The Facebook page is Micah Brown Podcast, while both Instagram and Twitter are at Actual MVP. And I'm pretty sure even if you look on Facebook at Actual MVP, you'll be able to find the correct page. This podcast exists to promote genuine, authentic conversations, which lead to, spoiler alert, genuine, authentic relationships. Simply put, we need to post more, talk less. The more this message gets out, the more positive change we can affect in the world. There are three main ways to support this movement and effort. Number one, support your own knowledge and entertainment by going to audibletrial.com forward slash MBP and get your free 30-day trial. Number two, go to coffee.com, except it's spelled weird. It's ko-fi.com forward slash actual MBP to become a direct supporter. Or finally, number three, become a patron through my webpage by going to microbrownpodcast.podbean.com. Or since that's a lot of links and you're probably just listening to this driving in a car or showering or working out or doing something where you can't use your phone right away, you can just go to any of those social media accounts when you get a chance and look at the link tree where you can find all the direct links there. Now, let's get to our conversation for this week. My guest today is Pete Petitti, a professional both in photography and videography, as well as the fitness world. He's a native of Houston. Uh, Pete grew up as a Texan and graduated from Sam Houston State University. In the difficult industry of content creation, not only has Pete proven himself to be one of the best, but he has even done so in Los Angeles, where he currently lives. Pete moved to Los Angeles directly after graduation to pursue his passion for video production, starting his career with the Lionsgate internship at the Cannes Film Festival in France, then moving on to film sets, talent agencies, corporations, and everything in between. Pete has made a or Pete has had a multitude of different jobs in the creative industry and now blends two of his biggest passions, fitness and production, into one with his production company, Skyspecs, where he has produced content for brands such as Samsung, Puma, Beachbody, Pop Sugar, and many more. His work is excellent, but more importantly, he's an excellent human being and a friend. I must add that he has been there for my family personally when we were having a tough time, including specifically sending my daughters some toys and books. He's a rock star all around, so please welcome my guest, Pete Petiti. Pete, thank you so much for joining me on the Micah Brown Podcast, and this is the first time, folks, that Pete and I have ever talked face-to-face, even though it's you know virtual and that sort of thing, but Pete, I know you got fires over there, you've had riots, you do something called making movies in LA, how is LA life right now as you're sitting there? LA life has been pretty good, it's a solid 70 degrees and sunny outside, so... Jeez. 
despite being back on lockdown as of yesterday, I think, I, you know, considering everything, we're doing pretty good. Man, I would kill for the weather in California. I've, anytime anybody ever talks to me about California, they're like, yeah, but the weather is awesome all year round. Yeah, it, it, it makes it easier to overlook uh, overpaying for rent and food and every other cost of living whenever you wake up in the morning <laughs> and it's sunny and 75 degrees and you're able to go outside in, in early December and um, have all of that time. But we have a little bit, you know, I, I teach 6 a.m. classes at a uh, fitness studio in downtown Los Angeles. And so it's like 40 something degrees out there. So we get a small taste in the morning of what the rest of the country is going through weather wise. And then by about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, it's burned off and we're back in our seventies and sunny. Jeez, man. That's like yesterday, I think it was, uh, Charlotte asked me, you know, daddy, can we go to the red playground? It's just the playground across the street at, at this elementary school. And I knew how cold it was outside. And like anytime the wind was blowing, it didn't matter what jacket you were wearing, dude. It was so frigid. And my loving wife who grew up at a lake, loves the summer, the hotter, the better. Um, I know this. And so I looked at Charlotte and I said, Charlotte, well, whenever your mom's out of her meetings, mommy can take you over to the red playground. <laughs> and so she gets out of her meetings. Mommy, can we go to the red playground? Daddy said you would take us to the red playground. And I just looked at her and I said, make sure to bundle up. And she's like, oh, it's, I mean, it's sunny outside. Like, it can't be that bad. They're gone two minutes. I hate you. What have you done? This is so cold. Why is it so cold outside? So was Charlotte still ready for it? Oh, yeah. She was all about it for about 10 <laughs> minutes. And then she was like, okay, it's cold. Baby, do you want a blanket? No. I don't think you understand how blankets work if that's your <laughs> response. <laughs> but anyway, I'm jealous yeah, of the weather. childhood energy. Oh, no kidding, man. Uh, and Lily just loves being outside. doesn't matter how much of a Michelin man you make her look. She loves being outside. But that's great. I know that uh, for a time, the the riots and everything that were happening were pretty close to where you live or lived. And it was getting pretty stressful. Um, what was what was that feeling like knowing that you're lit- – because Austin for me is about a 30-minute drive minimum, uh, especially with Austin traffic and everything. So anything happening in Austin, I'm not really worried about as far as my safety, but for you is a lot closer. So what, what did that feel like for you? It was pretty interesting to, you know, you, you hear about the Rodney King riots and when you're growing up and you don't really realize what it feels like to be in the center of it until you're actually there. And whenever the riots first broke out here um, and the BLM movement really got pretty, pretty popular, I was living in downtown LA on eighth street in Los Angeles. So it was pretty, pretty in the heart of it, right where everybody was really happening and everything was getting kind of crazy. Fires, helicopters over and all night. So we, we, it's funny, whenever we moved out, my girlfriend and I moved out of downtown Los Angeles and we moved up to Burbank, which is maybe 15 minutes away, but over the hill, a lot quieter, sort of right by the, all the Warner Brothers studios and kind of production world up here. But um, we had to start sleeping with like, Alexa playing noise at night because we were so used to helicopters and the sirens and people yelling and stuff like that, that we moved out here and it was dead silent. And we both just laid there like straight out of a movie, just staring up at the ceiling, like covers tucked up around us and in just pure silence thinking about how we could hear like our hair grow. And so I'm just like, 
Alexa, play thunderstorms. And so just play, play something. Play something. Yeah. I was like, Alexa, play babies crying or like anything just to get me <laughs> back in the hearing a little bit of some white noise. But it, it was really interesting. And it's funny going through it. I kind of thought to myself, like, you know, years and years and years down the line, whenever I have my kids and they're going through school and they're going to learn about this movement and they're going to learn about what this was like living through coronavirus and the BLM movement and all of these big monumental you know, movements and life changes that we've gone through this year, it's going to be pretty interesting to say that I lived in, you know, downtown Los Angeles, right in the path of where a lot of it was happening. Um, so in retrospect, it might be a little bit better, but it, it was pretty intense to be living through it. Crime rate went up pretty high. You know, my car got broken into twice. My girlfriend's car got broken into. Every time we walk the dogs, usually somebody be yelling at us or the homeless or something happening. And, you know, people blocking the roads and it's just something that, you know, it's in a way it's necessary and it's still unfortunate to see some of the businesses that have to take the toll. And, you know, especially some of these black owned businesses or minority owned businesses that are still sort of falling under fire of it. But it was a really interesting thing to be living in and seeing firsthand what it's like and not being able to have that escape from it. There was no break from it. You know, I'd walk out, every building is boarded up, glass everywhere, stuff had just been on fire. So the smell of smoke was pretty prevalent in the air. Helicopters, you know, walking down the road, uh, armed guard out there with their assault rifles around their necks, just hanging out, walking around just in case something happens. So it was really interesting to not be able to separate or have any sort of break from seeing that on TV. I would see it in real life. So we, we took a little bit of an escape and decided to get out and get, gain some perspective. And we went up to Lake Tahoe for what was supposed to be a long weekend. And uh, we just went camping and just needed that little escape to separate from all of the stuff that's going on in the world and perspective that there is still a lot of love and there is still a lot of appreciation for people and humanity that we sometimes are too close, you know, to the trees to be able to see the forest. Yeah, that, that happened uh, for us in our own way. So I can definitely relate to you just everything that's, occurring. And that's just, it's wild to think. I mean, you, you see enough on the the mainstream media, social media, that sort of thing of events happening in other cities. Um, but I know from having experienced differing things throughout my life that even though it may look bad on TV, it's still only like a small percentage of what's actually happening. And sometimes that can, the reality is actually so much worse and heavier. So, um, it's, and especially when like, that's where you live. I can't, I can't imagine not being able to escape from that. So, um, I'm glad that y'all took a break and went up to Tahoe and just breathed some fresh air for a little bit. And I know that the fires in particular are like way North of where y'all are. Can you even, do y'all get any residual like smoke from that? Is that air like messed up or anything there? You know, it's funny because I'll wake up some mornings and I'm like, oh, it got really dusty or it got really dirty overnight. And it took me, being from Texas, it was something I never really had to worry about. There are still some things I'm getting used to out here. I've been out in Los Angeles for six years now. So it's funny that even whenever I feel earthquakes, I still don't recognize that they're earthquakes at first. Like it takes me until the earthquake is done. And then somebody usually has to say it's an earthquake or it's something done. And I'm like, oh, like, was there a car crash or like what happened? 
And then I realized that it's an actual earthquake, but the same thing with fires. And I'll wake up and look at my car and I'm like, oh, it got really dirty overnight or dusty or something happened. And it's actually the ash that has traveled and your car will be kind of covered in this little light dust of ash or um, it's unfortunate, but the, the sunsets look really, really out of this world. Like it looks like you're on Mars because they're this deep, deep, dark red, orange swirling sky. So um, it's kind of crazy to be able to see all this stuff from the smoke and, um, you know, the ash, but it is a little bit tough. You know, they'll advise you, especially since now we're having to work out outdoors because we're not allowed to be indoors yet right now. Um, we're still, we're still restricted as far as how businesses are able to operate at this point. And so gyms haven't been able to be indoors since I want to say April. Um, they opened up for like two or three weeks yeah. to be able to go indoors, but haven't been open since April. So we're having to hold outdoor classes right now. So having to weigh that, that balance between when is it actually, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're able to provide people this outlet. And especially now when getting your endorphins, you know, being able to get your serotonin levels up, being able to have some sense of community with the people around you in these group fitness classes is so important, but we also have to make sure that, you know, I'm, especially my classes, I'm pushing them hard. So I want to make sure that they're, <laughs> they're able to get clean oxygen. And they're not yeah. hacking up a lung because I, I, I'm not going easy on them at all. And I'm, I'm known for yes. pushing people as, as hard as I can and a little bit sometimes past what they even think that they're, that is possible for their bodies to go through. Or, and it's a mental game that I like to play and be able to push people past what they perceive as their limit and to be able to find their new limit. So to be able to do that safely, you know, we really need that, that clean air source to be able to do that with. So we, we keep a really close eye on that, but luckily the fires haven't come close to where we've had to evacuate or had to worry about sort of personal damage. It's more so just what's happening around us that, that that's really hard to see. Yeah. I was thinking about for myself, whenever oak pollen is really thick in the air, it's not so much that I'm like necessarily allergic. Like I'll have uh, my airway close off. It's more like, it's like powder in the freaking air. I can't breathe when all of it's sticking inside your lungs. So I'm sure that's kind of the same situation. Yeah, the ash is tough, but you know, what's really funny is actually as we went into quarantine within weeks, um, the air had cleaned up so much from the diminished amount of people driving around. I heard about this. Um, so it was like, I mean, everybody was just like, my skin's better. I can breathe better. And it, it, it's funny to actually be able to feel that. You don't think that it's going to be that noticeable, but within those few yeah. weeks, it was so noticeable to be able to feel like almost immediately. Um, and it was cool to see, you know, like birds and animals sort of coming back out a little bit more now that we weren't having this pollution that that's and noise from all the cars and everything as often. That's unreal. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things you don't realize till it's stopped. Kind of like the earthquake thing, you know, you're like, Oh wait, I think, I think that was an earthquake. Was that an earthquake? Yeah. Oh, okay. Weird. So <laughs> my first earthquake experience, I, I had a few, you know, I'm happy to be here talking about Los Angeles because I learned a lot of things the hard way. Um, first of one of them was when I first moved out here, I had never visited Los Angeles before I moved here. It was kind of the thing that whenever oh, I was in college, I, it was the kind of place that I just saw, you know, that's where dreams are made and, you know, yeah. not as cliche, but I, I knew that I wanted to be. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can admit it's cliche. Industry. <laughs> it is. It's totally cliche. And I love it because I was able to follow that cliche, but I, I knew that I wanted to be out here. So as soon as I finished college, I did whatever I could and found the first opportunity to, to make my move out here. 
And um, I, I didn't realize, you know, in Texas, a mile is a minute, pretty much. Like uh, average, yeah. if, you're going, if you're going 30 miles, it's going to take you about 30 minutes. Um, That's fair. So whenever I moved here, I saw the map and I'm like, I can travel this city quick. I'm not worried about where I live. So I moved into <laughs> Long Beach, which technically okay. is Los Angeles County. In reality, nobody sees it as Los Angeles. To, to people in California, Long Beach is like, might as well be on an island. No one's going to come see you. If, you. if you live in Long Beach, you're hanging out with people in Long Beach. If you live in this city, you're hanging out with people in that city. So I was commuting about an hour to come into the city to go 25 miles. Good and um, so I'm, I'm living in Long Beach. So that's, that's the first lesson I learned is do a little bit of research on what towns to live in whenever you're moving to a new, a new state especially, but a new city as importantly, because I had no clue. But so I have my truck out here and my first earthquake, I'm sitting in line at like KFC. Like I'm just itching for like some, like something unhealthy and just greasy. I was like, let me get it. So I'm sitting in line. I've never felt that urge in my life ever, ever. No, definitely not. Mm -mm. (laughs) That craving doesn't exist. So about like a few days earlier, I had my, I had my Chevy truck and I had uh, an email that came in that basically was very nonchalant and said, We've, we've had a recall on your truck at your convenience. Please bring it back in. If it idles too long, they've been known to catch on fire. And I was like, you know, yeah, yeah. That's like that's out of sight, out of mind. Like I'll come do that maybe in like a week whenever I have the time, but I'm busy. I'm busy this week. Yeah. I don't so have I'm time sitting for that. in line. Yeah. I don't have time for that. I'm not idling that often. It's okay. So three, four days later, I'm sitting in line at KFC and all of a sudden my whole truck starts shaking. Just uncontrollably, I'm shaking in the truck. I think my car is about to explode. Oh, for I'm sure. I'm sitting there Definitely waiting for them explode. to hand my bag of chicken. So like I can see into the window. So I, the only thing that I can think of is, well, if I'm idling, it's going to catch on fire. Let me stop idling. So I start revving my engine as loud as I could. Oh, <sighs> just, just, just the most annoying, loud consistent revving my engine as loud as i could I'm De- this is definitely one of those that guy's compensating that guy's definitely oh yeah compensating yeah i was not doing a great name for texas i'll tell you that much <laughs> were, i was not breaking any stereotypes whatsoever oh, so i'm revving the engine the people at kfc they hand me my food like they're like get out of here dude and so they hand me my food and there's kind of like like this girl's like rolling her eyes at me i'm like calling i'm calling the dealership as quick as i can trying to get an appointment nobody's answering i finally get back to my my home with a few guys are from Texas and they're, they're so excited. Did you feel that earthquake, man? It was our first earthquake. And I just had like a wave of relief <laughs> rush over me. I was like, oh, well, I didn't get to experience it because I thought my truck was exploding. But um, yeah, so I still sort of have that shock when, when there's an earthquake. It, it you, doesn't really register with me yet. Did you even tell them at the, in the moment like what you went through or where you're like, yeah, that was crazy. Can you believe that? Oh, a hundred percent. I was like, guys, I thought it was about to blow up. Like, 100%. <laughs> I just thought I was about to blow. I thought I just dodged life like final destination. Yep. You just got to wait for what was it like a log that came through or a spike that comes through the truck. That's what yeah, you know. I, I didn't go back to the KFC. Let's let it, that was a good deterrent <laughs> for me to go back to KFC. It was like, a pure embarrassment. Maybe I didn't need that food after all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I ate it. But just, I, didn't I was going to say, you just like look at the bag. You just drop it in the trash. Like, nope, don't need that negativity in my life. <laughs> I ate it off of my bare chest probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to know you've given pieces of your journey. Uh, you know, you said you wanted the first opportunity out in L.A., uh, 
And as I mentioned in the intro, like you're, you went to Sam Houston, uh, which for those that don't know, it's kind of quote, just outside of Houston. Um, that means it's actually a decent ways outside of Houston. Um, and you wanted to get out there for, to just start your professional career. Not that like La La Land is your biography or anything like that, but, um, you know, you wanted to get out there as quickly as possible. So give us kind of some background growing up. Um, if there's any pieces that lead up to where you are now, definitely throw those in, but what was home life like? Were you an only kid? You know, just some general background as much as you want to share or as little as you want to share. I'm an open book, so I'm probably going to overshare. So feel free to cut me off if I start talking too much. Okay. (laughs) I Um, I probably won't, uh, but you just do you, man. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I came from a a pretty creative household always growing up. My, uh, my mom and my dad, my mom and my dad met at NYU in New York. They went to NYU and um, they were, they were at the Tisch school of arts. So it was like the, the film Tisch or acting sort of um, specialty school there. And that's where they ended up meeting. And they actually specialized in drama therapy. So basically working with like special needs kids while using some of the drama skills or skills that you would learn in theater to be able to open people up and be able to help cope with difficulties or challenges or whether that's personal, social, you know, what have you. And so they always sort of would be okay with me playing the drums or, you know, they'd get me a drum pad for Christmas or when I wanted to play guitar, you know, I was able to play guitar and as loud as I could, you know, the three songs I learned, you know, like smoke on the water for two months until I learned how to actually play music. (laughs) So luckily that they, they, they allowed me that outlet and, Thank goodness, because I think, especially growing up in the 90s, I was super ADHD. I'm, I still am. I used to also. But it wasn't as big of a thing back then. And I think the first instinct for a lot of parents was, holy shit, my kid's bouncing off the walls. Let's put him on some medicine to calm him down. Where yeah. luckily, my family left it up to me. They were like, if you want to be on medicine, we'll get you medicine. And I was a rebellious kid. And I don't want medicine. And so my mom, luckily, since she had this background, was able to find a more productive outlet for me. And I think this is what sort of led into me doing fitness as well, or being so avid about staying healthy and staying active. It wasn't really, it was never, I need to stay healthy. I need to look better. It was always, I have this, this bundle fire of energy that's burning inside of me that I started to learn would start to, it would, it would seep out of my body in ways that weren't the most conducive such as anger problems or frustrations or short tempers and, you know, not being able to sleep at night or stuff like that. And my mom was really good. You know, she would, even as a, as a small kid, she would hang like a a, a swing in our doorway. Like she got this little swing that we would stick in the frame of the doorway. And before bed was like, go swing on that for 30 minutes before you go to bed. And I'd, I'd get out some of my energy or, you know, we'd be, I'd be having one of my childhood fights, you know, just complaining about something or whining. And she'd be like, go take a few blocks around the block. Like not in like a rude, like get out of here, but just like walk it off, take a second, go run around, burn off some of that energy. And I would go run around or skateboard or bike and, you know, 30 minutes come back. And I was a whole different person, but I don't know if I would have ever been able to recognize that by myself without them being able to sort of be conducive about it as well. 
Um, and that leads for me being creative cool. as well. I, I, I made a lot of music whenever I was in middle school. I, you know, as I started growing up, I, I had like a little drum pad or played guitar and started, we started a band in middle school. It was like a of rock course. rap, rock rap band where we would like <laughs> play guitar, like super hardcore, like thrice music. And then we would have like crazy solos and then all of a sudden do like some rhythm and like rap onto it and have like the chorus would be like somebody singing. Like it was, it was all over the place and funny to listen back to some of these songs and be like, <laughs> it's so weird listening and be like, damn, these, the lyrics suck, but they're actually something here. Like we really had something going on, but yeah, it was just us having fun and we weren't, we weren't really drinking and we weren't doing drugs or smoking. It was a good, healthy, creative outlet for us just to enjoy and have fun doing it. But Yep. Um, to backtrack a little bit more, you know, they, they always pushed us to draw and to be creative in any way that we wanted to. My, my sister, she's three years younger than me. Um, and she, you know, her creative outlet was always like dancing or drawing or like calligraphy and sort of stuff like that. She's really good at telling her stories. We're all storytellers when it comes down to it. It's not anything that I've ever done has always been to try and tell a story in one way or the other whether it's through fitness and teaching my classes, it's telling a story of how people can be better. It's trying to help people find their own story. Um, I always want to, I'm not just sitting there boot camp, do this, da, 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 da. It's really important for me to talk about sort of like the motivation and find people's why, why are they there? Why are they looking for something like yeah. that? Same thing for, for production, whatever I'm filming. And I film some pretty fun stuff that some people from the outside might look and be like, well, how are you telling a story through this bikini video that you're shooting in the desert or something like that? But there, there's always a, a narrative that you can, you can attach to something. And I feel like anything that's worth watching and especially for me, I don't want to be putting out just bland content. There's so much content that's being thrown at us nowadays that if it's not something that's going to make somebody better or help them be better or help them find something that they're looking for, then it doesn't really make sense personally for me to want to be able to create it. So that's telling a story has always been something that's really big in our family. So my sister, you know, she, she was a dancer and then my brother's four years younger than her. And his was always, he's jokester comedic genius, but not a comedian. He's like super (laughs) sports football guy, but the sweetest, kindest heart. Um, And so, yeah, so I'm 29. My sister's three years younger than me. My brother's seven years younger than me as well. So we, you know, brothers and sisters, you fight when you're younger, but we always had that love for each other and looked out for each other. And luckily, as we got older, um, each year we got a little bit closer and even tightened it. And now, I mean, not even now, but years and years ago, we stopped that fighting thing back, you know, like end of probably high school. Um, and we just look out for each other. And I, I'm really fortunate to come from a family where we have each other's backs and our the support of them makes it a lot easier to be out here not saying that i couldn't do it if i didn't have them but it would be a very 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 tough undertaking to be doing alone so even though i don't have my family out here with me to be able you know when the riots were happening i called my mom and i'm like what like what the hell is going on like this is like why am i i I literally asked her like why am i here like with all this going on like it's been months that we're not working. Everything is shut down. The first night of the riots, they tried breaking into my building and lighting it on fire. Luckily it was a pure concrete building. Yeah. If I remember right, we were gaming and you suddenly were like, uh, 
I gotta go. Um, somebody's trying to set our building on fire. I was like, wait, are you serious? Like right now? What? So it's pretty crazy it's stuff. Crazy. Like, so it was weird to be in the heart of it. And it, it really made you start to evaluate why, what you're doing with your life. You know, that, that situation really made me evaluate, like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Do I need to actually be in Los Angeles to continue my passion and follow my dreams? Um, which foreshadowing a little bit, we'll come back to that, but teaser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta, gotta plant it. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> but okay, have all these little threads that come to find out are all one big thread they'll, there you they'll go come, they'll come to the very end we'll weave it all together and <laughs> night shamal on it um, <laughs> but luckily that my family has been there to support me and my grandparents and my mom and i think because they've also you know been through it and they they had to move away from their families my dad's from new jersey my mom's from chicago and my grandpa taught me something that sort of stuck with me from a very young age which is never confuse opportunity with geography. And so that was a big thing that he instilled in me. And I'll say that again, because it, it really is something that I remind myself a lot. Never confuse opportunity with geography. So the people that love you will always be there for you, even if you're not physically next to them. Um, and you know, you can always go back. If it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. It's not running back to home with a tail between your legs. You, you have the right as a human being to try out as much as you can. You have the right to be able to fail and fail brilliantly because that's the only way that we're going to grow and become better. So take that chance because if you don't do it now, you will regret it later on probably. Um, and that's something that also got instilled in me from my dad because you know my, my parents divorced whenever I was in like my last day of high school, they, they told me that they were, um, they were getting divorced. And so I was lucky to be raised with both of them in the same household. And even now you would never know that they're divorced if they're together. Like when they're together, nobody would ever know. Even when people like meet them, they're like, are you, sh- are you sure? Like, these are your parents, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're I know divorced, you said they're divorced. I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I, why are they talking to each other? Like, <laughs> why are they so cool with each other and having good conversations and laughing? And, but you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, stuff, stuff doesn't work out. Like it is what it is. But, um, so I still sort of like, it's still sort of outside out of mind for me. Cause I moved away to college and never really got to grow up in a household with, you know, single parent household. But, um, and they were both very present in my life and my brother and sister's life, um, all through everything. But I remember one time I'm, I'm in New Jersey at my dad's condo and I, you know, I know my dad, I love my dad, but there was this one time that I'm like sitting in the room and I was just like, who is this guy? Like what, what was his story? Like before he was a life insurance salesman, you know, my grandparents own a life insurance business in New Jersey. Like before he did that, like what were his passions? What was his young love like with, you know, girlfriends before my mom, or what was it like to have those first few jobs and chasing his own dreams whenever he was in his twenties. And I literally went into his room and I was like, I mean, I must've been like late high school and I'm not a big crier, but it, it brought tears to my eyes. And I walked into his room crying and I was like, I was like, I need to know about you. And thank God for him. Because if I am not, I'm, I'm a bear that's been woken from hibernation. If you wake me up from sleep. So the fact that he just woke up and was like, yeah, sure. Let's go over it. Like, yeah. I think that's I'm like, yo, good job, man. Because I would have probably woken up. I would have done it eventually. But the first few minutes would have definitely been like, why are we doing this right now at 2 a.m.? Like, <laughs> so he, but he did. And he, he broke out pictures and he broke out letters. And he had all of this stuff that we talked for hours. And 
I really got to see sort of what his passions were. And it's funny, he was telling me stories about him going to like an acting workshop with um, like Robin Williams and um, Christopher, oh my God, I'm blanking on his Christopher name. Christopher Walken? He was like the, the, the original like Superman. Reeves? So yes, Christopher, right? Christopher Reeves. That's his pretty name, sure. right? Okay, so I th- I'm pretty yeah, sure it's I've, I've heard of those guys. It's fine. So Robin Williams and him, I guess, were like best friends. And Robin, like Christopher Reeves was a super sort of not, not goofing around guy, pretty serious actor, but Robin Williams would have him rolling. And so I guess my dad went to this like huge workshop and one of the workshops that he went to, it was like this like week long workshop with Robin Williams and Christopher Reeves. And he's telling me stories about that. And it was kind of funny because he was like, it, I loved acting, but I realized at that point that I'm never going to be at that level <laughs> of, <Dang. laughs> of Robin Williams and Christopher Reeves. And so I started to think, okay, well, what else can I do with this? I've, I've dedicated my life to theater. I've dedicated my life to acting and all of this. What can I do with that? And that's where he started to weave back into that drama therapy and use what he had learned to sort of help people and be able to use that for you know, other, other places of life. Because that's the cool thing about acting classes or even improv and stuff like that. Like in middle school, I had taken improv and that's still what I think not only was the teacher so influential because she allowed us to be who we, who we are. It wasn't, you know, sometimes South Texas schools can be a little bit, you know, this is your box. I need you to stay in it and don't be crazy. Don't, you know, stop. Don't, don't have that, that attitude or don't have that, that mannerism or that characteristic or stuff like that. And instead of being like, that's who you are. I don't want to change that, but let's find a better way to make this, you know, you, you still have to be a functional member of society. That's, so that's what let's good teachers weave do. this in. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Miss Tracy, um, she, she was a big influential, my drama teacher. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out to <laughs> Tracy. Um, and she, she was Miss Miller, Tracy Miller, um, was influential. And I actually reached out to her a few years ago on Facebook and like wrote this huge thing about like, you know, thank you for doing what you do. Glad Don't I'm not the only one it. that's done that. <laughs> you have to, you have yeah. to, because I also see, I was a head. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like I was, I mean, in high school, I had like a, I had, I had a tall blonde mohawk. Yeah, you did. Pixar didn't happen. So, I gotta see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got pics. I mean, to me, my, my hair was always something that would grow back. So we would just like mess around. Like I shaved the checkerboard in my hair one time. I had a blonde mohawk. I had like stupidly, like we dyed like a bullseye on my head, like just random stuff. I went to the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. We shaved the asterisk for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the back of my head. Although I had my mom do it and don't know why I thought that should be okay. Cause I was like, yeah, it's just a razor. Like you're fine. And just shaved a big gape in the back of my head. So that was pretty, that was a, that was a rough, like two weeks going back to school with that. Just no hair in the back of my head. Cause I wasn't going to shave the rest. Cause I'm not going bald. Oh not my with this gosh. Ends. So th- that that's, yeah. So that was pretty tough, but you know, we would always, I was, I was kind of that kid that, you know, I was, I was wearing a lot of black and I'd listen to hardcore music and I was skateboarding. So just for the some, record, people listening, he's wearing black as he says he used to wear black. <laughs> I am wearing a black sweatshirt. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, it's a nicer fabric though. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's the fancy fabric. That's it's good. A nice, it's a nice cotton blend. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I was kind of this like hoodlum. So not hoodlum, but perceived from the outsider's eye, you know, skateboarder, sure. punk rock music, Mohawk. You would think that, you know, I'm up to no good, but 
luckily she she saw that you know that wasn't who I am and I had a, I had a good character and a good soul so she she gave a lot of dedication but like I use my improv every day I'm always on point whether I'm teaching classes and having to just think on the spot whether I'm having a just conversation and being able to just be comfortable thinking on your feet and being able to say yes and that's a big thing in the theater world is that there's no no's it's never like Correct. you don't just stop a conversation you want to keep it going so to be able to do that with people I think it allows me to be able to create a stronger bond with them because I'm not blocking off who they are as well. I'm allowing them to be able to yeah. be their true authentic self. Yeah. So that really helped me to be able to, you know, so between these things of uh, growing up, you're a sponge, you, you pick up everything that people say to you, whether you consciously are aware of it or not, whether the way you talk, some words you use, you know, I'm sure that, you know, when you date somebody, you start sharing the same words or you start to like copy each other's stuff and it's not copying that's not true in marriage at all ever <laughs> yeah. we don't say I'm the sure exact same things say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and say the exact same quotes from the office or just friends or whatever yeah, yeah that never happens <laughs> no and it's very important when you break up with somebody to be able to separate that as well right like you, like yep. i always talk about <laughs> there's good things that you know from every person that you come in contact with even if it's a bad situation or a bad relationship whether that's friendship or dating, but there's always some stuff. I'm like, I did like the way that you were a good listener, or I like the way that you would ask me this, or even like noises or like, that was cute. I'm going to take that. Like, da, 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 da. So you, but you have to also be able to separate the bad parts for you to continue going forward. Yep. So it, it's really important for that. But um, so, so all through life, I was sort of taking all of these things, you know, my grandpa telling me this geography and opportunity thing, my dad telling me, you know, that he had chased after his dream and realized that it wasn't for him. He's going to go a different direction, ended up having to work for my grandparents' insurance business, which um, he enjoys. But that was also something that stuck with me. Like, I, I can always find another job. There's always going to be something safe for me to fall back on. And then... I started to find like passions and I was making videos and, you know, stupid little YouTube videos in middle school. And we were making music and people tell you your whole life, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be an astronaut. You can be this, you can be that. And I don't know if everybody has this problem, but it never registered with me that they were telling the truth. It was always just something adults told the kids just to have them just fairy tale dreams to keep you going. But it, it took me a while, years. It wasn't until college probably my junior year, sophomore year of college, that it really clicked to me. Like if I really put my mind to it, I, I could be anything. Like, why am I doing this safe bet of going to like business school or whatever? And um, every year that I'm out in Los Angeles, I realize more and more and more. And by the more people I meet, I realize that the more dedication you put to it, you really can be whatever you want to be, whatever, however, dumb you might think it is i'm putting that in quotations because people thought that being a professional gamer was dumb for a few years and now you're able to be a professional gamer and make millions (laughs) right right so like there's there's you can literally do anything like podcasts like nobody thought that you'd be able just to pick up a podcast and create your own content so now that we're able to make our own content and not rely on having funding from other people and you really can make it yourself and it's just a matter of putting yourself out there. So that really clicked for me. So I, want, I wanted to just, before you move on to the next thing, that's kind of why in, in our house, I don't know that if this has been said out loud, I think we might've talked about it, Elizabeth and me, uh, but with Charlotte, if she's curious about something, like wants to know how something works or how to do something or whatever, it's just, yes, that's, 
the answer default. Um, and the best example of what's kind of blossomed from that is I noticed, so she and I uh, like to have game time together. So I'll get my switch or uh, I'll play on my Xbox while she sits on the couch and plays on her tablet. And it's just a little time slot in the day. And I noticed one time she was watching a video of this lady, like four kids teaching them how to bake. And she was just sitting there watching this thing. And it wasn't like cartoonish or kid, kid like it was actually functionally here, add this in, then you measure this out you put this in and she was enthralled by it. So I said, Charlotte, do you like watching her bake? Yes, de- I love it. You know, that sort of thing. So we m- move things forward to where um, then after bath time at night, she would have some time to kill before bed because she's older. She doesn't need all that much sleep. So we would watch a challenge from the Great British Baking Show. So not a full episode, but we'd watch one of the challenges. And then she's like, can I bake like them? And we're like, you know what? You can get there. You know, I'm, you can't just ride out the gate. Nobody can't, right? You got to practice, but <laughs> yeah. I don't want to crush your dream, but you got to, you got to get there. And so, uh, for her birthday, which was, oh gosh, last Friday. Yeah. Um, last Friday she got, uh, like a baking outfit set with the chef hat and the apron and a mitt and all this kind of stuff. And I told her, you get to pick what, like a week prior to that, I was like, you can pick whatever you want to bake with me. And then something you want to bake with your mom, um, with mommy so that, you know, you can, make it for your birthday or something. So we made this like strawberry shortcake lasagna. I put that in quotes cause that's what it was called, but it's just layered, whatever. And then she made cupcakes <laughs> with mommy and um, she loves it. She loves baking. She's been asking about what are we going to bake next? She starts swim lessons tonight. So who knows how that's going to go? She's got flippers like me. I wear size 15 and I they're skinny and thin. So she's got giant perfect. flippers like me. She might be perfect at swimming. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but that's, that's the rule in our house. So, to it's one thing because I'm, I have an educator background, you know, five years as a middle school teacher, like it's one thing to tell a student you can do anything. You can reach for the stars, literally whatever it is. But then if you never actually functionally give them that opportunity, they won't believe it. So it's almost to the point where I would rather you not tell my daughter she can do anything, but then interact with her as if she can than the opposite where you say, yeah, you can do anything, but then you keep telling her, no, don't, don't draw on that instead of giving her yeah. a piece of paper to draw on. Um, or no, don't take that apart. We'll give her some Legos then that she can take apart and put back together. You know, so it's kind of what you were talking about with the great teacher, Tracy, that would she give you stuff and try to redirect is the teacher word. She'd redirect your focus to something that would be productive rather than a nuisance or, destructive or something like that. So I I wanted to just throw that in as a parent, that teacher was on the money. Your perspective is on the money. That's, that's definitely how we should interact with kids is give them that opportunity. That's I love that you do that with her, with them. And I think that's so important and props to you for doing that because I think that's something that they're not going to realize has been an influential, you know, part of their upbringing until they're much, much older. And then hopefully they're able to pass that down. And I think that it's really cool because not only is that something that you do with kids, but I've realized that even with like friends, it makes a really big, like, it's, it's really, really cool when I talk to somebody that's, you know, I love associating with people that I admittedly will say are smarter than me or are, you know, they have an expertise in different areas. Like I don't have just all friends in like the film industry. I don't have all friends in the fitness industry. 
you know, there's some crossover, but for the most part, most of my friends are from different backgrounds because we're able to mesh and we bring all something different to the table. But, um, it really clicked to me because I lived with these two guys who are SpaceX engineers and um, I lived with them for two and a half years. And I was the kid in the household. Like <laughs> they knew how <laughs> there's always gotta be one. <laughs> yeah. They, they knew how, and I, I'm okay with saying that I, I brought a fun aspect for sure. They're fun, but I was definitely kind of the wild card. Like they'd be like, Oh wow, you're doing this now. Or, Oh, you're coming in like after drinking. Like, <laughs> and, but I would ask them so many questions that I became like a student through our household from little things, even how, you know, like the cupboard would shut and, you know, it wouldn't slam. It was one of the ones that would sort of slow down with the more force you yep. threw at it. And I would always, well, how does this, like, I was just like a little kid. Like, how does this work? What does this do? Why does this, why does this light like that? Why does this do this? And they were so good because they were never like, well, obviously it's this. They yeah, were like, idiot. oh, well actually, you know, it's like this. Let me break it down. Like, well picture, you know, a cushion is like this or a pillow is like this. And they would find a way to relate it to my feeble mind. And made it so interesting that like, it was so much fun to live with them and be learning something constantly. And it, it was really, and so that actually sort of brought it, reintroduced it back to my life. Like how important it is even for friends to, to not sit on people for not knowing something or for asking a question, but to be able to sort of like be that person. Like, it's kind of cool that somebody's able to ask you something and you have the answer. So don't take it for granted and don't try and just, dismiss it instead of use it as like a little bit of a time to to have like an educational lesson for somebody and just let them know how something works and a peek into your own mind or the way that something in the world that they're not unfamiliar with yeah I, I my rule as a teacher was um you know when it when it was appropriate this works better with adults by the way but uh don't don't answer a question that hasn't been asked yet wait for them to ask the reason being the the asking of the question is them opening the door for your input mm. so if if i ask you um because this has definitely not happened you know pete how should i light my room to make better videos <laughs> i'm opening the door for you to just pour out as much or as little information that you want to give me but prior to that, if you if you came at me and you're like, hey, I saw your video and it was kind of dark in this patchy spot and blah, 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 I wouldn't have been open to that. I wouldn't have been ready to receive that. So um, we try to teach Charlotte that one of the best questions you can ask is why. That doesn't mean you need to be the annoying, repetitive why, why, yeah. why. But if you are interested, you should ask. And don't ever be afraid to ask. Um, people need to learn how to say no more often and learn how to, you know, if they don't feel like answering something, tell you, but don't be afraid to ask. Cause that's how you learn. Now you know how those hinges work. I don't even know how those hinges work. And I've wondered yeah. for years, I'm like, how this George just like magically stopped. Like, how does it know? Um, but I, I'm definitely the, the one that wants to tear it apart and figure out the intricacies and then never figure out how to put it back together. But you know, yeah. Just- and I've always been that, that like, <laughs> I, I've always been that inquisitive, well, how does this work? Well, why is this this way? And thank, thank God for Google because I'm also that person that Google and YouTube will be talking about something. And I'm like, how does that work? Well, let me just learn. Like, let me just like peek it up real quick. Oh, what was the answer to that? Oh, let me just see. Oh, what is this? Like, it's so easy to take two seconds out of your day versus like, we don't have to be like, well, how does this work? I guess I'll never know. Well, that would be cool to know. Like that'd be, that'd be so fun yeah. to know. And it's fun to have those little tidbits then later also. Is it, is it pretty common for you? Conversation. 
is it pretty common for you? Like if somebody asks you something you don't know for you to just be like, I don't know, but I'll find out. You, I yeah. feel like you're that type of person. That's nine times out of 10. <laughs> I don't know. I'll find out <laughs> the one time though, I'll have the and they're still, yeah, they're still like, it's okay. You've been looking for like a second. No, no, it's okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish more people did that too. You know, don't pretend like you have all the answers. Like it's okay to admit you don't have the answers and people believe you when you say you do have the answer, you know? Yeah. How did this all like tie, tie into you getting into photography? Like you're curious, you've got the mindset. How does this thing work? You've got an artist, clearly if you're shaving your head in a checkerboard format, like you've got the curiosity and the artistic nature, including, you know, the background that your parents have. So how did that lead into, was it a college degree? Was it a class that you took in college and you're like, yep, this is it. This is what I'm doing. How did that translate from high school into photography? I've always been an avid traveler. I've always taken photos with whatever I could, whether it's like, you know, the disposable cameras back in the day. And what are those? We got phones. <laughs> yeah, right. I, it's funny. We went to Christmas tree shopping and she, my girlfriend was like, we should bring the, like the Fujifilm, like the little, like we have like the little printout photos. And I was like, yep. even as a photographer, I'm like, then we have to carry it. I was like, but then we have to carry it. We have our phones. <laughs> have take the equipment. <laughs> and the lighting, it's going to be dark. I was like, she's like, we're bringing it. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's bring it. Let's yeah, sure. Right. Um, I was like, all right, fine. We'll, we'll figure out the lighting. Um, but I've, I've always had an affinity for photography. I've always had an affinity. Movies, I, I don't want to take away from the hard work that my parents did with raising me, but I, I can definitely say that I learned a lot from movies. I sort of was raised Same. on movies, dare I say. And I, I, I was always relatable. Well, how does this work? Or this person's acting this way. And I would take traits from actors or characters. And that was always something that really, really stuck with me. And I'm very, very receptive to that. So even if I start watching, like, I'll have to like, if I start watching too many sort of dark movies or like, like if I watch Wolf of Wall Street and back to back with like American Psycho, I'm like, I need to watch Bob's Burgers and get a little bit of love For in my real. life. <laughs> Dang, those are some dark movies. <laughs> right? And it's my girlfriend, she was like, she was like, what's your favorite movie? I'm like, American Psycho. She's like, I'm going to need to make sure we have somebody there for our first date. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's be crystal clear here. I need some security. I'm like, well, it's just a fun movie. She's like, that's not a fun movie. We'll talk about it later. But... <laughs> Pete, you don't know what fun is. Clearly, yeah, my comfort zones <laughs> are a little a little odd, but um, yeah. So movies have always been like a huge thing for me, and directing. And I think my dad and I always had that relationship with movies as well. Like we sort of communicate through movies. Even nowadays, you know, we'll talk. How's it going? Good. How's LA? Good. So did you see the new Mandalorian episode? Like it just goes straight to like movies or TV yep. show, and it's our way of connecting. <laughs> you know but that's, um that's definitely how elizabeth and i are it's like that's why we watch t i mean we talked about this a little while ago um yeah before recording like we have our shows that we like to watch and i i was the only one watching the mandalorian for a long time and then uh just recently she started playing catch up on season one i'm like you need to know who groku is because otherwise we got problems <laughs> so she started watching it I tried bringing it up and uh, Kara was like, yeah, just really not. I'm like, I'm not, we're not forcing it. We're not forcing it. It's okay. Nope. I'll just watch stop it. That's <laughs> fine. We didn't even have this conversation. Yeah, no, it's okay. We don't, we'll, let's watch something else. Um, so basically like it had always been, I guess, tying it into like me never thinking that I could even do it. Like it was always just like something that's fun. When I would travel, I'd always have a camera, you know, and bring it with me and take as many photos as I could. And 
you know, even advertising, like I was uh, had an interest for advertising and how marketing of, you know, like commercials and stuff like that acted. So I will we'll show how I sort of had a route of my career where I was doing more marketing and advertising. But I um, basically like long story short for college, I was an adrenaline junkie. I went to the university at Sam Houston State because they're a big criminal justice school. And I wanted to be like a marshal or work in forensics because I always had an appreciation for how resilient and cool the body was as well. And I was always okay with being around stuff like that. So I actually started off at Sam Houston with a criminal justice back, um, major. And then before even starting, like before day one of classes, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I'm going to switch to like anatomy and maybe I'll do like more medical route and um, switched over to like uh, majoring in like the sciences. And then after about a year, I was like, this is a cool passion. I don't think that I'm going to go through like I'm not going to med school. I'm not going to be an RN. I'm not going to do anything like that. You know, but like the body always has intrigued yeah. me and I'll, I'll keep that as an interest. Never would have thought I would be a fitness instructor using that information <laughs> down the road. Ever. <laughs> never would have thought. I never in my life was like, yeah, I'm going to teach fitness classes. Like that was never something that was a dream of mine or a goal of mine. I just sort of fell into it actually through production, which we'll get to. But I switched over to business because I was like, listen, I love marketing. That's always been a fun, you know, like avenue for me. So I'll, I'll do some marketing stuff. And I can remember the day when I'm sitting in one of my business classes and we're reading the books and it'd been like day after day after day of every time that they mentioned somebody in the textbook, it was somebody that had gone against the grain. It was somebody that wasn't following the path and that they were like, I want to do this. I'm going to put all of my energy into something that I love. And it was literally at that moment that I was like, it, it, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but it was really that moment that I was like, business school. Like, I'm not going to do this safe bet. I'm going to go do production because I want to make movies. I want to do some sort of filming. I want to do creative. I'm going to be a creative. So I switched my major like that next week over to broadcast production where I really got my first taste into what that life would be like. Um, and I'm really fortunate. Another instructor professor that I'll give a shout out to Tom Garrett He's one of the main reasons why I am in Los Angeles or one of the reasons I got to Los Angeles because he was one of my professors and he would ask each person in the class, like, what's your goal with like, cause there's so many avenues you can take with production. Even if you want to be like in front of the camera behind it, like news reporters or on radio or stuff like that. Like we were all sort of in the same major and we'd have to take some of the same basic classes. And he had a really cool background. He would do a lot of high end, like Chanel or, like Dior and like all these different crazy brands that he was doing like the advertising side for. Um, and I had mentioned to him that I was like, I love advertising. Like that sounds dope. I'd love to work with those kind of like high end brands. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we're cool. Like I'll, I'll help you out, man. And would put me on like these like film competitions and had me start creating work. And he loved my storytelling and thank God because my production quality of stuff. I didn't understand lighting and all of that jazz back then, but I think I had the framing, the eye for frames for telling a story. I was always emotional driven. And, um, you know, that narrative was always there, whether I was able to convey it across the screen or not. And that was when I, I really started like putting all of my energy back into it. And I mean, I'm in like a, I was in a fraternity through college. So, you know, it wasn't the most conducive for being creative all the time. Um, whether well, that's, not, not creative in a productive way, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you give creative in some creative, other ways. <laughs> having fun and getting into trouble. But 
and there was a lot of community service and stuff like that that we would do. I don't want to take away from that. There was a lot of really, really good deeds that we did in the fraternity, which was one of the reasons I joined this fraternity specifically, Kappa Sigma, because they did put a big emphasis on giving back to the community and helping out and, you know, raising money for awareness of different, um, like, wounded warrior and all of these different, like, um, helping out veterinarians, or not veterinarians, um, vets and stuff like that. Yeah, organizations. So it was really, really good for um, that stuff. But I started to get a little bit more creative. And Tom Garrett was one of the guys that helped me and really helped me out in a big way and got me an internship with Lionsgate Productions um, at the Cannes Film Festival in France. And that was a pretty big moment for me. So I was over there whenever they opened up the Hunger Games um, Mockingjay movie. So I worked on that. I worked on when they did John Wick for the first time, they opened up John Wick. So I got to be there for that. So they had a real, they had a few pretty big movies that opened up that year that I was able to be there and see how they were doing all of their businesses, all of their sales, people coming in. I was right there next to like one of their CEOs. And um, my first gig that I ever got was actually booked for Texas, a movie shooting in Texas that I met in the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I had a short film that I had produced with Tom Garrett's help. I got on as a producer for a short film that was actually in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, And then I was interning with Lionsgate while I was there. So I had some like, you know, it was my first sort of like big debut. And then I'm out one day, literally just grabbing lunch for all the CEOs, because I'm still an intern. I don't want this to sound too glamorous. <laughs> like I'm, I'm still an intern. Like I'm still doing everything, grabbing paper, printing stuff out. But my whole theory has always been work begets work. I will, you give me an opportunity. I don't care if I'm sweeping floors. I will prove myself that I'm worthy to be there and I can get to a bigger role. Just give me the chance. So I always talk about like, if, there, if there's a crack in the window, I'm going to bust it open and break into the house. Like I'm coming in. Don't quote. If that's the quote that you take from this episode, <laughs> make sure there's some context. And then I'm not, you're not pairing this up with me being a hoodlum with a mohawk and talking sure. about breaking into houses. Folks, what he some means is he was cutting. actually the one setting the building on fire that he was referring to earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you're going to, you're going to slam me. So, um, but no, but I, I had this internship and so I'm out one day getting lunch and the restaurant was, you know, all the restaurants right there that are across from the festival grounds or I call it festival grounds, but it was this massive like theater where they would hold the movie screenings for the openings. And I, it was this little like Thai restaurant that was right across the street. And I mean, our office was directly across the street, like top balcony overlooking it. Um, and so I'm out running lunch and I'm grabbing on shoulders and th- this Thai place is all backed up. And this guy comes in and he's like, you know, waiting for a table. And the lady's like, well, if you're per- the other person you're supposed to be here with isn't here, we can't seat you. We're going to give your table away. And the guy started to get kind of like, well, dude, like I'm here. Like, let me just sit down, like whatever. And I overhear the conversation. I'm waiting for my food. They say it's going to be another like 20 minutes. And so I'm like, yo man, like if they need, if they're not going to seat you without somebody, like I'll sit down with you and just hold the spot for the guy. I'm waiting for food anyways. And then when the guy comes, just tell me to off and like i'll get up like it's not a big deal and he was like really you know, like, yeah sure so i mean we've been chatting like sort of like just like oh wow it's crazy the festival is fun like this is awesome did you see this yeah like the great gatsby party last night was crazy did you go to it i was like yeah i was there it was fun i had to sneak in through the back i was not invited so literally hopped the fence <laughs> to go to the great gatsby party which was pretty cool um and that was the first night there it was like me and a few of the guys were like yeah we're going dude and we just hopped the fence and just like blended in with our tuxedos and looked as snazzy as possible 
That's but awesome. so I'm sitting there and so I'm chatting with this guy and we end up just, you know, just hanging out and sharing stories and interests and passions. And the guy, his person's like 30 minutes late at this point. My food's taken like 30 minutes. So I've been chatting with this guy for like 20, 30 minutes. And finally his guy comes, you know, his partner or person he was meeting shows up and, you know, I start talking with him. It's like five minutes and my food's ready. So I'm like, all right, it was great to chat with you guys, you know? And Finally, he mentioned something about Texas. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm from Houston. And he goes, oh, wow, we're shooting a film in Houston in three weeks. And he's like, we're actually, our assistant director just fell out. We need a first assistant or a, a second assistant director. Um, would you be available? And I'm sitting there as an intern, like about to have like three bags of Thai food, styrofoam boxes to like <laughs> shuttle back to all of them. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what the movie is. Yes. I'm actually, I keep the movie poster actually above my desk to remind me sort of like where I started from, like what, what the, the catalyst was for bringing me out here. But that movie filmed in Houston for two weeks in the dead of summer, very hot outdoors. It was rough. I didn't realize how hot it was because I'm from Texas and I was like, yeah, it's just normal summer, like whatever. But everyone, every time somebody would come off the plane, Oh my God, it's hot. I'm like, yeah, it's normal, man, whatever. Now I land in Texas. I, I get off the plane. <gasps> it's so hot. I'm like, yeah. Shutting my mouth. I'm like, no, Pete, don't be that person <laughs> now. <laughs> don't do man, it. And in Houston of all places, like people just imagine the hottest, most humid place you've ever been. Maybe a sauna. That's Houston in summer. You can cut it with a knife. Oh yeah. You have to you, swim it, through it Houston. You like a wall. I'm not, it's not an exaggeration when they say that you, you feel you walk through it. Like when you go from like the AC out of the building, it's a wall you of feel humidity. It. Yep. It's ridiculous. It's That's crazy. why flooding in Houston is not like a strange thing. You're like, so now we just see the water? Is that? Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least it's somewhat cooler. I wish I could say it's cooler. It actually stays yeah, just it, as hot. In no, it's, it's super it's hot. Raining. It's like bath water. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 wearing, you're wearing your jacket, your rain jacket, and you're sweating underneath it because it's just super humid. So, yep. um, yeah. But... Um, that was it. So I worked on this movie. I, I, I second assistant directed it. The first assistant, the movie was kind of a, a show, to be honest. It was like a low budget horror film. So uh, I would consider it like a modified low budget. So a modified low budget in film terms is like a $200,000 film, probably $250,000 film. So not a huge backing behind it. Are you allowed to say what it was? It was called Hidden in the Woods. Oh, I see it. Hidden okay. in the Woods. It's, it's on my IMDb. Yeah, have your I have- IMDb pulled up. <laughs> It's, it's not a lengthy IMDb. It's definitely something that you can view on your phone screen without scrolling. Um, yeah. But <laughs> they don't even have your picture. How rude. I think the picture you have to add yourself. And I haven't, I, I, I'm, I'm not that, I'm, I'm not that committed to my IMDb growth <laughs> to, to, to start adding photos, souping it up for my three credits. I think that I have, um, but yeah, I worked on this movie and the, at the very end of it, basically this two week shoot, pretty tough shoot. Um, but at the very end of it, they were like, if you're ever in Los Angeles, we would love to work with you again. And in my mind, I was like, that's the crack in the window that I've been looking for. Time to break in. Knowing what I know now, I don't know if I would have hopped on as quick, but I literally went home. Um, my girlfriend and I, at the time, I think because I had been, I had just came literally, I was gone for a week at the Cannes Film Festival, Cannes Film Festival, um, landed, 
got to work. Like they had paperwork waiting for me to start filling out all of, you know, your, um, like W2 SAG, SAG paperwork. Yeah. For like, oh. the, like theater stuff. So I'm for, for the production stuff. So I'm filling out all the major documents. I'm making call sheets. So everyone knows timing and I'm working with like vendors and it got to it. I didn't know. I had never been a second assistant director <laughs> in my life. I had to Google what a second assistant director was. I'm being a hundred percent. This is where the habit came from of Googling everything. <laughs> like this traumatic experience. <laughs> I had no clue. I was, but I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever. I'll, I'll be that director. I, I heard director in the name. I was like, sounds awesome. Little did I know that th- to break it down easily, the first assistant director is the bad cop second assistant director is good cop so this first ad is basically there to make sure everything is on schedule second ad is sort of to make sure that he can adhere to that schedule so i'm running around making sure talent okay talent we're grabbing you in 10 all right i have someone walking talent in 10 okay da, 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 da. like so i'm running around okay well timing is up here like and so he'd be yelling in my ear because we all have like comms on um like radios on and so he's yelling in my ear where's talent where's and like meanwhile the guy's like in his trailer like finishing off a bottle of vodka and i'm like banging on the door hey man hey, Gotta hey, go. sir, like, we, you guys out here i'll be there in a second i'm like don't like in my head like the guy's like get him here whatever it takes so i'm googling what to do i'm googling how to fill out paperwork i'm googling how literally taught myself because film at least this film school i went to at sam houston they taught you how to do lighting they taught you basic editing but they don't really dive in to every single role on a film set because there's so many so i taught yep. myself online within like a four day period. Filled out all the paperwork. We start shooting a week from there. So I get on set and then for them to be like, yeah, you were awesome. Like if you're ever in LA, we'd love to work with you again. I went home, basically packed up my truck and within a week and a half drove out to LA. And after coming back from Cannes, after working on the film set for two weeks, it was like three or four weeks, like back to back of just like crazy work. And my girlfriend and we were sort of turbulent and i think that was kind of a breaking point and she had been interested in somebody else it was a whole story but for the better because it pushed me i was like well now there's really nothing holding me in texas and i packed up my truck my dad came down from new jersey we downloaded the office offline so we could stick it up on the front dash there you go you know it's the kind of show that i've listened to so much that i can picture what's going on i don't have to stare at it so i'm it was like, it was like listening to the radio. Like, I'm just like picturing it laughing. Like, Oh, I know what Michael's doing right now. Like, so <laughs> it was, it was awesome. And we just drove all the way out to LA. Gosh. And the worst part of that was probably driving through West Texas. That's half the trip. Yep. <laughs> half the trip to LA is getting past Texas and you have to be very thoughtful with where you take your breaks because you get pretty close to the Dude. Mexican border. Yeah. So we were like, well, we have to get to this point tonight. So we, we you know, we Otherwise stayed over we one place. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I had a trailer full of stuff, pretty nice Silverado at the time. It was one of the newer versions. So um, drove out to, to California, didn't have a place to live, didn't, had never been here and stayed in a hotel for like two nights, checked out apartments, moved in. That was that. And, Dang. you know, luckily I emailed them and was like, Hey, I'm in, De- I'm in California. You, you said that we would work together if I come out here. Right. And you I said it, you like, said it, you told me it. So I remember it. Remember, remember <laughs> I'm the guy that worked on the movie with you. And they were probably like, guy actually is here, but thank God that it worked out in my favor. And I made that leap because 
they were like, cool, we have two movies coming up. We want you to first assistant direct both of them. And I worked on these two movies with them. And in the meantime, that's, that's what sort of got my, my career started out here, right? Like I, I worked on those two movies. Just, just to backtrack, just so we're all on the same page. You were picking up food and you heard a conversation. You said, hey, I'll stand in for your friend so you can sit down. He's like, sure, whatever. You had a normal conversation with the normal human being. Come to find out, he wasn't just a normal human being. He was a person who could get you an awesome job. And that ultimately led to you being in L.A. Just so anybody listening to this story, which is a great story, don't pass up little opportunities that you think are just like insignificant. Every person that you meet could have an impact in your life. Yep. And or at least that's I, how you should I, view I, it. Everybody yeah, could have an impact. And I, and if not have an impact on your life, I think that it's also to re- important to remember that your interactions with people will have an impact on their life. Right. So it, it, it might, you, you know, you might be having a hard day, but, that little interaction, like they, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what they've been going through that day, that week, that month. So to be able to spread a little bit of love or to, to, to be able to help somebody out sometimes, even if it's might be slightly inconveniencing to you, or you might not be in the mood, like a simple smile really does go a long way or a little bit of conversation does yeah. help out and can lead to a lot of things. And it doesn't have to be coming from a selfish place. Like, well, if I just talk to somebody, they're going to help me out. Like, but I've, I, in my experience, I've learned that the more that I put myself out there, the more the universe brings sort of good wishes back to me. Yeah. Whether that's I, work or friendship or anything, right? Yeah. Kindness and compassion. You can't, you can't go wrong. I mean, all it is is a little bit of energy and effort and people are like, well, but if you're too nice to other people, like they could screw you over. I'm like, yeah, but the amount of times that would happen, like is almost negligible. Because most people are going to respond in kind, you know, they're, they're not going to be a jerk about it. Yeah. There's been people that have taken advantage of me. Yes. There's been people that have taken my kindness for granted, but the amount of people who haven't and the amount of friends that I've developed because of that kindness and compassion severely outweigh the negative responses. So I'm, I'm right there with you. So that's, they have, I think that you, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I, I believe that you've read Brene Brown are familiar with Brene Brown. Very familiar. Okay. You talked about vulnerability and I was like, I think he's a Brene guy. Well, so (laughs) I think, yep. It's right behind me. Uh, her book, uh, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth read, reads books. I listen to books. Um, I fall asleep if I read, but I can, I'm an auditory learner. That's why this whole podcast thing works out really well for me. Um, but we also watched her Netflix special and what's crazy. So I, um, I don't know that I've admitted this on any podcast or said this on any of my episodes, but I actually have a degree in leadership. And uh, that was my undergrad and my master's was in education. And in one of my leadership classes, we, we talk, it was basically a personal development class. And so we learned about things about vulnerability and how uh, sometimes even as a leader, what I asked you earlier, like saying, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out actually breeds trust. And some people think that if you admit that you don't have an answer that you come across as weak. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'd yeah. rather probably come across as weak, but maintain a better relationship in the long run 
you know, moment, momentary weakness for not having an answer versus longevity of strength in a relationship. I'll take that any day. Um, but yeah, we, we've watched that stuff and the whole time I'm just going, she's, she's right. She, all this stuff I've read in plenty of other places. It's all time tested. It's perfect. Good. And her books, her special, her special, I, I heard the vulnerability and I heard, I've heard you talk about leadership in really important ways. I'm sure that's in your own words, but uh, it really resonated with me or reminded me of Brene, but um, well, she's basically yeah, my her Netflix special was same, good. Same last name. So it's fine. The book star. That's true. <laughs> oh my God. Use that to get into one of her shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's my cousin. My brother or my, my dad had oh, seven siblings. It's fine. Like, sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I got to go talk to my mother. <laughs> yeah, no, but if anybody's listening and they aren't familiar with Brene Brown, um, she has opened my eyes to vulnerability. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a person that always kept my cards close to my chest. I wasn't ever very emotional, um, at least openly, but, or lovey or revealing my feelings, but, she sort of, I can say over the years, I think a lot has developed into it, but she really cracked open a lot of that emotional sort of vulnerability and has helped me be able to help people a little bit more when they're going through hard times. When yeah. I used to come from a place of you have a problem, how can I fix it? Versus you're hurting, you have a problem. I'm here for you during this time. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to get, you know, I know you're in a hole right now. I'm going to get in this hole and we can get out together if you want, or I can be here with you and, you know, stay with you and hold your hand yeah. while you're in this position. It doesn't always have to be, I'm going to fix this for you or just do this and you'll fix it. But sometimes you just have to be there with somebody during those tough times. Um, I mean, we but, still have the toys and books that you sent via your mom to Charlotte. So I'm Lily doesn't know what so they are, but you know, she, she just kind of grabs the books and throws them, but Charlotte knows and that's what matters. <laughs> I, it makes me so happy. And whenever I heard that, you know, when all that happened, it really brought up not only knowing that it's tough for you, but remembering what it was like for me whenever we had water damage in my house and I, it, I, it hadn't, I had never thought about it until this happened to you. I, it's, it's a, it's, it was a memory that was just gone. And when it happened to you, it really brought it back to me. And I was like, holy. I, long story short, we had a really bad water damage. One of the hurricanes, basically like I, I'm in my bedroom, I'm looking up and I'm like, there's starting to be like a ball in my ceiling. I don't know what this is, but it's starting yep. to cool. And then over like a day or two, it became bigger and bigger. The next thing you know, it's the size of my entire room. And I'm like, mom, like uh, yep. something's in my room. <laughs> and it had leaked into the other room and it was this huge thing. We had to move out of that entire side of the house. I had to live in the living room, but my mom and dad made it so seamless. And it was more like, well, we're just doing a sleepover in the living room for three months. Like that's yep. sort of what happened. So when you were doing that with your kids, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me try and make this as easy as I can. If there's anything that you guys need. And you had mentioned that, you know, they didn't have their clothes or their toys as much. So no, no. I called my mom and was like, mom, I know we have a ton of stuff that we're never, you're not having kids again. I'm not having kids for a while. Like, <laughs> take it away. So yeah, she man. was so happy. And, oh my God, I'll go find it. Do you think they would like this? Would they like it? She's, she's known for sewing um, capes for kids whenever like anyone has like a new kid she'll sew like a batman and a superman and it's like a reversible 
cape that they can use as a blanket, yeah. like a travel blanket, but then they can use it as a cape and like sort of like make believe. And so she was like, should I sew them this? And she was going to, but then like we're out of time. And she, well, I, I can only make this blanket for them. And there they go. I was like, Mom, I can only so- make this blanket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just a, a casual like, Tuesday. Oh, I only had time to make a full blanket. It'll cover yeah. a king size bed. It's fine. <laughs> So she, that, that's where I get a lot of my, my, my giving and my caring, but we, so, we, it, it warms our heart to help you out with that. Yeah. We, we appreciate it. Cause trying to explain it to a three-year-old was, was tough. It was an uphill battle for sure. And, <laughs> and then the one-year-old doesn't want to sleep in the room because she's in a pack and play for three months. And so it was uh, quite the interesting experience. Adults get it. You know, you're like, okay, we got three, three months. All right, let's count down the days and like make it last and we're good. But kids, it was, that was People are like, what do you need? I'm like, I need my kids to be happy. Like, yeah. I don't know how to say that. So we, we did the best we could. But I would love to know, you moved to LA. You worked on these two other movies. Oh, real fast. Sorry, before we go into that. Um, I brought up Brene Brown because yes. we were talking about vulnerability. vulnerability, being out there. Oh, people sometimes will shy away from being kind or open or vulnerable in those ways and one of the biggest things that stuck with Brene Brown which I have a tattoo of on my wrist is strong spine soft front and the whole quote Mm -hmm. is strong spine soft front open heart and that really resonated with me (laughs) why are you laughing I'm just like because do you love it (laughs) well I didn't know that's something she said and I kid you not you can ask Elizabeth you can ask our old pastor like our old pastor at the church we met at he said uh, what do you love about Elizabeth? And I said, she has tough skin, but a soft heart. And she's always got a backbone. And I, and you just wow. said that I was like, I swear on my life. I did not know Brene Brown said that. <laughs> wow. That's really great. Now, now, you know, and she's still that way. I mean, she's got, especially if you mess with her kids, oof, that's yeah, not good. Don't, I don't but get in the way of that. It's yeah. It, it's easy to, it, the easy route is putting up a barrier around you. But when you do that, you block out the good as well as the bad. So yeah, sure. You might block out the bad, but you're blocking out so much more good that you're not exposing yourself to. So you have to create people, you know, you mentioned that people talk about leaving themselves exposed for people to do them dirty or to use them or to work in their selfish ways um but that's what the strong spine comes in you have to still have that soft front to allow all of the good to come in but you still remain not rigid but you remain strong and i think that's where that duality of balance comes in rigidity does not equal strength and strength doesn't equal rigidity you just i think you know when to plant your foot and when not to i think that's kind of the difference and and strength sometimes m- means like regardless of how you're feeling like you said you get in the hole with the person and you're just there and you and you also have to know when when it's time to get out of that hole even if you know that that person's not going to make that decision on their own but because i love that person i might i might risk this relationship because i care about this person you need to hear this truth um, yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's always an interesting thing. I, I wanted to get to, cause we, we got, we're running low on time here. Um, you got to LA, you worked on these movies, but now, I mean, you've got your own website. I don't know when that popped up, but you've got it now. And you've worked with the likes of Beachbody, Jaybird, Puma, HBO. And 
that's not an easy thing to do. Like to, to get to be one of the people shooting those films, taking the pictures. So what, what was that like? How did you end up doing that? Cause I know, I know that there are plenty of people that want to get to that level. And I mean, did it involve another restaurant you just walked in, you saw somebody, I mean, how did that happen? Cause so far that's what I'm feeling is going to be the answer. I just don't know. I mean, Honestly, it, it, I wouldn't say a restaurant per se, but it, it definitely was building relationships. Coffee shop. No. <laughs> it was, okay. it was actually, was any from a coffee shop? Coffee shops are a big place out here. Uh-huh. Everyone just hangs out in coffee shops out here. Just do it on, on Instagram, just sitting on, on Instagram. They're like, well, if I run into somebody, <laughs> it works sometimes. Hey. It works, but I, I mean, I, I was, I was going on interviews. I was meeting people every, I, I'd be out, you know, at the bar. I'm great. My, my coffee shop is the bar. I used to meet, I've met my roommates at bars. I met the guys from SpaceX that I lived with. I met my, one of my best friends, um, Alex at the bar. I met like a lot of good connections that have turned into sort of production stuff, but work has beget work. So I've always just like, I sort of left the, the film stuff needed money because it's expensive to live out here and worked at a talent agency and I was like a talent manager for a few months and was like, this is not my character at all. I'm, I'm going I'm to get out of here, but I need to be the creator and I don't enjoy the, the lifestyle of being a talent manager. It's, it's pretty, you know, it, it is, the stereotypes kind of live up to it. Um, oh, dang. <laughs> and so I was like, this isn't me. So, and I tried to be like that, like good. And like, I'm not that person. Like I'm going to help out. But then I realized like I wanted, I didn't, I need to, I need to create the life for me and not help other people at this time find their dream within this, this world, this, this uh, production world. So I ended up actually over at a creative agency that that's where I started to get more into like the advertisements and these bigger projects with HBO, Showtime, Stars. Like I was with all of the major programmers, CBS, ESPN. Like I, I've worked with all of them because I was working with a creative agency where our main client that I worked with was AT&T Uverse. So they were the cable company. So I would create all of the marketing content or I would help create the marketing content that would then go on that platform and they would do joint marketing campaigns. And that's where I got to really see the marketing aspects and how these bigger businesses worked. So before you work for yourself, I think that a huge, um, a huge tip that I would give is to work for as many people as you can, not only to see how different parts of the business works so that you're well-rounded, but I think it's also really important to see different management styles so that you can find the way that you can be the best manager in managing people that you can. Um, and I was fortunate to find a really, really good manager, Heshele at AT&T Uverse. She's over with Sony View right now. She's worked with all of the major programmers, DirecTV, H, uh, DirecTV, AT&T Uverse. She's now with Sony helping lead there. She's like the VP over there. So she was so kind. We would get like, you know, the programmers would always send us. When I say programmers, I mean like the different TV networks. So like ESPN or Showtime or, you know, somebody would send us a screener for like Ray Donovan and we'd get like early access to like the first four episodes before they're even released like months later. And she would be like, you know what? Missy from HBO mentioned that her and her husband were watching this show. Let's mail this to her. You know, they said that they were thinking about it. So she's super thoughtful in, cre- in creating these lifelong relationships. And that really stuck with me as a management style. And she was the first manager I had that really wanted me like, well, how can I help you? Where's your development? Let me get you a mentor. Like, duh, 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 duh. And 
from there, it was cool, but they did the merger with DirecTV, and I was like, I don't want to be at this. Like, AT&T Universe was big, but DirecTV was like this yep. 20 story building with like a newsroom at the bottom where they would film everything, cafeteria. Like, it was the whole shebang. And I ended up, I was like, this isn't where I want to go with my life. So I moved over to Beachbody, and that's where I started working at Beachbody. So I think start, don't be afraid to start off a little bit lower. Don't be afraid to start off in a um, assistant position or a coordinator position because titles will change a lot quicker than you think. Like I started off at AT&T Uverse. I started off at like what's called Digital Kitchen, which was the creative agency where AT&T Uverse was the main client of. So I worked out of their office half the time and I would work out of the agency half the time. And a big part of it was that I started off as a coordinator position, which is a glamorous half assistant, half <laughs> marketing coordinator. And then I worked my way up and that's when I started to do marketing manager. And then I moved up in from that. And then I ended up full-time at the agency where I really started to do the HBO campaigns, like from the production specific size, not from the marketing and planning of the productions, but actually like onset creating this content. Um, and then from there, after that sort of like merger and stuff like that, moved over to Beachbody and ended up as an associate producer creating fitness content, which is that's actually how I fell into fitness was I've always been healthy. Like I mentioned, I always wanted to be active. I'd always skateboarded, wakeboarded, dirt biked, rugby, wrestling, like anything I could do to be outdoors. I'd play football, I'd play soccer, I'd swim. Like I was always doing whatever I could to stay active and just like be outside because it was just fun. Like it wasn't like I need to stay healthy. It was like, I just want to be around and have fun. Yeah. And Beachbody was a cool thing because I'd always created my own workouts. I always read books on, you know, Charles, Charles Poliquin or like enter the kettlebell with, you know, some of these like, like the, the um, Russian kettlebell, like guru, um, great kettlebell book, enter the kettlebell. And that's what really got me like sort of like into the fitness stuff because I was directing these fitness videos and they would come to me and they would be like, well, how, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm demonstrating this move, how should I be angled to the camera? Should I be facing this way or should I be facing this way or should I be doing this? Or should I like, da, 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 should the weights be over here? Should I be, how should the move look? And I was like, I know this, but to be able to be more knowledgeable and really confident in what I'm saying, I want to get certified in teaching group classes. So I'm able to help out more. And so I got my certification and one thing sort of led to the other. I was testing out workouts and then somebody came in the gym, same thing, ended up talking to somebody who was leading one of the workouts, who was an instructor for a big Bay Area gym out here called the Bay Club, um, and ended up teaching at the, she was like, you should come teach at the Bay Club. You're like, you're awesome, you're great, your energy's good, you're personable. Taught at the Bay Club for a little bit while I was still an associate producer for Beachbody, creating content, and then I ended up over at Equinox, which is a high-end um, gym chain out here that's sort of where the celebs and stars go to work out or used to, but now <laughs> it's sort of famous everybody people afford the few hundred dollars a month membership it is to go to this gym. So it really opened my eyes and I found a huge passion in teaching classes. And it, I always talk about filling my cup and that was something that really filled my cup. And one of my best friends, Paul Katami um, was a big influence in helping me find my style for my teaching style. Um, and he was a pretty big instructor himself. And now we do all of our joint workout videos, which I'll plug our YouTube channel that we just created for us to start publishing more nice. of our joint workouts. But we do really creative programming. And I, I, I started teaching at Equinox and I'm now at another gym called Sanctuary Fitness, 
where I'm the head developer for programming. So I create all of the workouts that are across two of the gym chains and a third one opening up um, in West Hollywood soon. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but it's going to be opening up in West Hollywood soon. Um, so I'll be one of the head instructors there and we'll be, um, I'll be programming all of their content. So it's funny. Like I, sometimes you just fall into stuff that you, it's always been a passion of mine. Photography has always been a passion. Video is always a passion. Working out was always a passion. I never saw them as avenues that can be not only professional, but would even make money in the least. So I, I say that I'm fortunate to be able to do this. And I, I do feel that way, but at the same time, there is a little bit of, it, it came from me leaning into these things that sort of came up that I don't know if I would have completely like production. I leaned like, that was something that I ran after, but the fitness stuff, it was a cool position that opened up. I knew that I liked working out. The benefits were cool to have a gym on site. I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I leaned in. I was like, Oh my God, I really enjoyed teaching classes, but is that me? And I was like, dude, it's fun. You enjoy it. Go for it. So it has all led to that. But I ended up making my own business because my photography and video at that company felt a little limited. I started working more with an Australian bikini company where I would shoot all of their marketing content for bikinis. And my photography started kicking up a little bit higher. You know, I was just doing shoots. And I think the key to, you'll know when the time is right to be able to start your own business doing what you love. And I, I will say that there's uh, what we call the swinging monkey theory, which is <laughs> a monkey makes sure that it has a firm grasp on the other branch that it's about to move to before it releases on the first branch. So I started my business while I was still at Beachbody. Tested out the waters, see if it's possible for me to make money. And I started making a few thousand, you know, here and there. It wasn't a lot. But it was enough for me to be like, all right, well, there's, there's a demand here. And I like doing this and people like working with me. And I think that I could keep to grow this. And Beachbody, I ended up leaving after about six months of having my own company underneath them and um, just gave everything I had to it. Everything I had. I would, I would do shoots. I would do free shoots for people if I knew that they had a following or if I'd be able to do more, if they'd re like refer me or even just to build content. Like I'm like, yo, like you have a great look, like let's, let's film this. Or you have a great idea. Let's film this. And that's what started to continue to keep building is that common thread of work begets work. Like you have to perfect your craft and that's going to be by working, but you have to make connections by working. You have to continue to build up your relationships and the businesses that are on your resume whether it's a physical resume or just, you know, names you can drop every once in a while, but being able to build up a portfolio is so important in the creative realm. So if I could talk to myself 10 years ago, knowing that I still had this passion, I would have told myself to start filming whatever you can take photos of whatever you can, and then put your heart into it and take the time to edit it because those are the seeds that you're going to plant. that are going to really come to fruition later. The best yep. time to plant the tree is 10 years ago. The second best time to plant the tree is right now. Yep. So if you want that tree that's going to have shade in 10 years, yeah, sure. You, you would have one now if you did it 10 years ago, but you'll have it in 10 years if you start that right now. So you need to get to work. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking literally of the three trees, the only trees that we have on our property that I've planted. And uh, <laughs> they finally are producing shade after five years. So there we go. <laughs> thankful for that, especially in Texas heat, good gravy. But yeah, that's, right? that's pretty incredible. I, I didn't know um, 
the story i mean this just goes to show folks like you can know somebody but you don't know their story like you don't know the real person and i i would imagine i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there are probably people in your life that are definite friends but they probably haven't even heard all of this like they probably haven't even heard you know how you got started or the ideas that you've had along the way that have propelled you into where you are now and that sort of thing and i it's so cool to know from my end of things, doing this so many times with people on interviews and finding out like, it's not that I interview only great people. It's that I'm interviewing normal people who are just great. Like there's so many people around us have their own amazing story. Like you've been talking about and everything you've been saying has been a story. I'm reflecting as this is all happening. And I'm like, this is a story. Like this should be its own little like mini series or something, you know, um, there's a fun idea, but I just, as, as you're, you're telling all of this, do you feel like you've already had your greatest accomplishment or like, what do you see as your, your mountaintop in the future that would be your greatest accomplishment? And what, what would those be? I guess. Honestly, I, I see this as just getting started. This, so is, still this is still camp. the beginning. This is still <laughs> the beginning. There's, there's so, so much more. Um, I'm just now hitting. Yes. Last year was the first full year that I, 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 w- I had my business open that I worked directly for myself. Um, and I did pretty good. Um, you know, obviously room for improvement and could have done better, but that's how you start. And it was, it was a cool thing to be like, okay, hey, well, I, you know, this, this, I did this myself. Like, this is my business as as stressful and doing everything yourself can be it sounds much <laughs> no more kidding. glamorous than it is because there's a lot more time that goes into it than you ever think and it's the kind of thing that you know i'd put like a block i'd block out an hour to do something and it'd be four hours i'm like oh that's and make sure i really account for that yep. next time but <laughs> this year has been really cool and it's only grown from there so it's i think with the fitness stuff um i'm finally getting to a point where people are really recognizing that my programming is different than what you're seeing just on like Instagram and stuff. And I think that's a big thing that I'd like to touch on actually real fast is that I've talked about the production stuff and just like going for it and taking work. But like the fitness stuff, there are days that I would teach class and there'd be just a few people in the room. And I'd be like, get, I'm working out with you. Like we're, you're going to have a little personal training session at this thing. And there'd be other days when I have 35 people crammed in a room and I'd run out of equipment and have to literally run onto the floor, like the main gym area and steal like dumbbells or steps to run into class and I'd give people my equipment and give them my spot. And I would just like run around the room and be like, okay, cool. Here's the next move. And I'd let me borrow your station. I'd do the station, do the moves and be like, all right, you know, 30 seconds go. And people will always be able to see through your bullshit, no matter how good you think it is, no matter how long you're able to keep that face up, there's going to be a point when you get tired and you're going to show your true self. So you might as well show your true self, live by your heart, live by your true colors because that's what's going to resonate with people as well. People will be able to see that you're coming from a good place and that's going to get you far in life. I, I have a, a metaphor that you are more than welcome to steal. Uh, I, I say that people, by all means, take this. Uh, I like to say that people are gushers and they may be one flavor on the outside, but when you squeeze them, <laughs> they may be sour, they may be sweet on the inside. And that's just I'm salivating right now. Yeah. <laughs> now what's the <laughs> mint Dwight? Um, but I, I think that it, it's like what you're saying. You can keep a, a mask only for so long. Um, I, I might add 
eighth graders see through your your mask so fast and they will respond in the most brutal way if you're trying to put up a front um i have too many years to back that up Uh, but uh but yeah whenever people get under stress the mask is the first thing to go they're going to show their true colors that's why i i have this theory that like if you really are interested in somebody you in a safe setting should get drunk with them because Mm -hmm. that you can't keep a front you know like you're just going to be who you are um and i know that's a mildly flawed (laughs) theory but but still the point is like get rid of the mask and see who somebody is without putting on a show mine and elizabeth's first date was almost at midnight at kirby lane getting pancakes and i told her dress as comfortable as you want to and she said what do you mean i said literally whatever the word comfortable means to you wear that so her hair was down she had her glasses on already instead of contacts had a shirt on that said audios pantalones and was wearing spandex shorts <laughs> she was like this is it i said sounds great and now we're married so you know it's, it worked out <laughs> that's how my girlfriend and i i mean quarantine that was awesome for that because it forced us to just be like nope you know we've been here for two months we did like a facetime talked for a few hours and then when we hung out it was like well like no one's no one's putting on their their best fit hiding yeah. anything this is your home like we're just gonna be who we are and i think that's why we, we clicked so well is because we didn't have this tiptoe around well are you okay with this let me just pepper this question out to see how you feel it was like yo this is what i think this is what i feel this is who i am and it was like cool i like that person I yeah. like who, I like what's what I'm seeing. You don't have hearing. to guess. You don't have to guess yeah. what the other person's thinking. They'll just tell you. Then and it's so and you can say it, you know, be tactful and that sort of thing, but you you don't have to be intentionally hurtful. But being honest doesn't equal being a jerk all the time. Like just yeah, be upfront. I love and that. being able to disagree is important. I think in in business and no, relationships I don't know about and friendships. That. I think I disagree <laughs> about that. <laughs> well, only because you're always right. <laughs> of course, naturally. <laughs> but to be able to be like, well, I, you know, I respect your decision, but I don't think I don't agree. Or like, I'll, I'll say that sometimes. And sometimes I say it a little bit too blunt. I'm like, oh, I disagree. And she's like, Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, do but you disagree? By with all that? means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you disagree with that? I'm like, I'm like, I'm just saying, I just don't agree with this. Sorry. <laughs> Dang, calm down. But showing your true self. I mean, like with fitness, being able to be out there. And I think so many people who are doing, if you're trying to be a fitness instructor or a fitness influencer as cool as it is to see these Instagram models or influencers who are just showing abs and doing like squat jumps and stuff like that. That's, that's very short. That's a short lived fad. That's not going to be here for the longevity. Your character is what's going to show through. And that's what people are going to keep coming back to. You can get workouts almost anywhere. I like to think that my workouts are very unique and my movement strategy and all of that is really unique. So I like to think that I bring something different, but when it really comes down to it, Somebody will go and do jump squats with somebody that they find to be fun or funny, or they can relate to, even though my movement quality might be better. If they can't resonate with who I am as a person, why would they come back to it? So leading from the heart is what's going to really make you move forward. And I think that's, what's made both in fitness and production and life in general has been leading from my heart, leading from a place of let's starting off with good intentions um, is a really, really important thing for cultivating relationships in your, your career. And, you know, especially when you're working for yourself and after living in LA, I've learned, I mean, I ran out to the store yesterday. I ran into two people like across town, like they don't even live in this town. They're like, Oh yeah, I live over in like the West side, which is like Santa Monica, like down by the beach. It's like 40 minutes away. 
And they're like, oh, they're like, oh, I just went up here to like grab like a haircut or like something like that. And like ran into people. So you're the more you're alive and around, you're going to run into people. So make sure that you're being your true self, because if you start faking it with one person and the other person hears about it, word of mouth has been one of my biggest ways of growing business. I'm not, I'm not running ads. It's purely by word of mouth. So that will carry you. And that's another tree to be planted that you, yeah. know, you work well with people and it's going to grow. I think the, the word there to summarize what you're saying is authenticity. People, yeah. people can taste it, you know, and, and they crave it because you and I grew up in the social media age where we saw people who started, who we knew prior to social media. And then they start getting on social media. And you're like, hold on. <laughs> that is yeah. not accurate at all. Or like, uh, I see where that's true, but it's, it's kind of twisted. Like, what's going on here. And so we, we've become, uh, used to people putting on that social media front. And so we, whether we admit it out loud or not, we crave authenticity, uh, which is one of the things I've said about my podcast and say with every uh, exit is the most authentic podcast you've ever heard. Uh, because I want people on here to, to talk about them true, their true selves. Um, like you and I have talked about vulnerability breeds deep relationships. If you want to put on a mask, you're going to have shallow relationships. That's just the way that yeah. people are wired. Um, I'd love to know as we wrap things up here, just some encouragement. You've given a lot, so don't feel like I'm saying, you know, man, you're slacking. Um, but what encouragement would you give to people who are listening, maybe in college currently, um, people that have a passion for things that you've been discussing? What encouragement would you give them right now? I know you've already said, plant the tree now. Start filming everything you possibly can. So what else? What other tidbits of wisdom would you give from your experiences, both good and bad? I would say stay open to always learning. Always try and be at the top of your craft, whatever that may be. Um, I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm watching, I'm reading books. I mean, even like little stuff like on set, it's knowledgeable to know how to tie like different types of ropes to be able to like, anchor stuff or hang up stuff. And I'm like, I'm really reading a rope tying book. Like my girlfriend's like, what are you doing? I'm like sitting there with a rope, like practicing tying rope, but little stuff like that. Like whenever you're in the situation, you don't, what, what's going to make you really proficient and be able to just focus on doing your job is not having to think, well, okay, well, if I do like, you don't want to, you don't have to reteach yourself every time that you do an act. Like if I'm teaching class, I don't want to have to remember like, okay, well, if the humorous is here, well, if the, if the bicep is touching this, okay, well, what's the feeling? Like it's, it's a lot more, it's a better experience for the, for the person in the class for me to be able to talk about the emotional aspect or the motivation and then pepper in. And then you're going to feel this here and like not have to think about it because it's going to come more natural. So the more you practice, not just in like that, but in learning and your education to make sure that it really is fundamental. That's going to be a huge, huge improvement. And, you know, especially nowadays, there's always new technology. There's always new theories. There's always new methods. So staying at the top of your game, staying a lifelong learner, lifelong student is going to get you very far. Um, and so I think that's also really good whenever you're in new businesses to be able to adapt is to be able to be a student. So you have to be able to adapt. And if stuff, something doesn't work, pivot, take yep. a second, turn your direction, maybe reevaluate it. And I think that another big thing is that it's easy for me to say fail brilliantly, but in reality, it's tough for me to fail because I love being in control. I like to win. I'm very competitive and I'm my own harshest critic. 
Like I'll put videos out and my buddies are like, dude, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, well, the lighting's off and this is wrong. And you can see where my camera skipped here or like, they're like dude, no one. I'm the same way. <laughs> it's like the littlest stuff. And they're like, no one cares. I'm like, well, that's here. Yeah. And that's in the background. Someone's going to notice that. Or, but I, I like being my harshest critic. It makes me want to be better. But at the same time, you know, you have to be able to draw a line and be like, that's as good as it's going to get right now. I'm going to get better next time. So being able to just focus on that's it being better. Just do what you can with what you have to get marginally better. And you're going to see that that staircase that at one point was this towering staircase that you were looking up on at one point, you're going to not even realize it. And you're going to look back and be like, Holy shit, look how many stairs are behind me. And that it's a little bit less of a number to get to the top. And I think yep. each one of those small steps is what's going to get you one step closer to what your goal is. And you know what? The truth is that that goal is probably going to keep moving further as you progress down your career, because that's going to change. You're going to want to get better each time. Well, you know what? I've reached that yep. goal. Let me keep going. It's an ongoing staircase, but don't, don't, don't hesitate to be able to look back and be like, wow, I really did. I did all of that. And so it's kind of cool actually for me to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me because I've, I haven't really thought about a lot of my journey in a while. So it's kind of cool for me to be talking about it and to be reflecting on it as well while I'm speaking about it. Like, Oh yeah, that is kind of crazy to think about that. Like I just talked to some guy in a Thai restaurant in <laughs> France and it turned into me moving out to Los Angeles and that turned into me getting this job and, you know, being fired from, I was, I was let go from Beachbody, but it's funny because now I'm, they've hired me back as a contractor because they like my work so much. And that this is eight <laughs> months later. This is, all, this is over a year later that I've been hired back as a contractor position now and my rates have gone up. So it's kind of funny the way that the world works that way. You know, when as, a door as shuts, Michael, it's not always shut. As Michael Scott says, well, well, how the turntables. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Man, that's, I, I love it. I just got to say like, I mean, it's cool that this conversation is you figuratively looking back at the stairs you've climbed to this point, knowing there's still stairs ahead. But, um, and the, the thing that you mentioned is like, keep taking, keep stepping forward. And I'd love to add a baby step is still a step and you're still moving forward. So I know sometimes people get knocked down. If you get up and move at all, you're moving. And you're either growing or you're dying. Those are the two options in my book. So either you can Absolutely. keep on growing in your knowledge or you become stagnant. And you're, if you, you know this in fitness, because I used to be a personal trainer, so I at least understand this part. If you stop moving, your body literally will start deteriorating. Like if you just stop moving at all and you were completely sedentary, your body will literally start falling apart. And I, I think that your brain is the same way. I think that your, your ethic your work ethic inside of you can be the same way so um i love that you said that just keep growing and keep moving forward how can people best connect with you i know you're on instagram you got a website i'm going to link those but i'd love for you to share how you would like to best be contacted yeah everything is pete Petiti at uh just pete Petiti. so at pete Petiti is my instagram that's p-e-t-e-p-e-t-i-t-t-i um, my parents thought they were Dr. Seuss, I think when they named me and they named me Petey Petiti. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's a name that people will not forget. 
it's funny like i'll go to the doctor's office and they're like they always walk in like you keep td that's so fun like that you do that all the time like, i'm like yeah I'll eat Zoli. but you're, um, you're so cute look at you like only in a little pd patiti um so p patiti is my gene is my um I keep trying to say my email. Don't email me. That's not the way to reach me. I mean, if you want to, you can. You can reach me at pptd at gmail.com, I guess, if, you, if you'd like to email me. But Instagram's best, at pptd. Um, and Paul Katami and I have a new YouTube channel where we he's an amazing fitness instructor himself. He has, like, over 20 years of experience in the fitness industry. He, like, basically opened up the Equinox in Pasadena. He opened up the Equinox in West Hollywood, which is one of their flagship biggest equinoxes and this was at the high heyday when it was like only celebrities were allowed to go there um he has like 30 dvds that he's created for fitness the guy has pioneered um paved the way for human rights and human rights activism and i'm gonna flex on him because he's a best best friend of mine and i love what he's done but him and his husband were the case that went to the supreme court and got gay marriage legalized for california um so he has done quite a bit with his life. And so I'm really happy that not only is he a best friend of mine, but he's also a huge mentor in fitness for me. And we have created a fitness page where we're going to be creating a bunch of workouts this upcoming year. And we're going to start putting up our workouts this month. Um, and I'm currently doing a 25 days to abs before Christmas. So if you're looking for a good ab workout, go ahead. So it's P2 total performance fitness on YouTube. Um, the letter P, the number two, total performance fitness um to check us out and do some workouts so instagram and youtube is the best way to reach me and um yeah if there's any questions that anybody has about fitness careers for fitness or production i love to mentor i love to help people out so uh don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions i'm more than happy to sort of dive in deeper and answer anything that you guys have yeah, man. I, I love that. Um, that attitude I've seen from a lot of entrepreneurs or successful people, the attitude of like, sure, I'll help out in whatever way. As long as, long as I have time, I'm, I'm good. I'll be an open yeah. book, tell you anything you want to know. Um, I think because people who have made it per se, they know that most people quit along the way. So whatever, I'll give you free information. I'm not going to charge you. Just give, <laughs> give you a yeah. little tidbit. Like, and there's You're, enough room for everyone, right? Like, it's not competition. Yeah. Like, it's so silly. But that's cool about Paul, uh, Paul Katami, and your um, YouTube video. I'm definitely, I'll link all of these things, folks. Uh, the website, Instagram. He is very active on Instagram, figuratively speaking and literally. Uh, <laughs> Paul Katami uh, has made many appearances on his Instagram, and uh, I'll link the YouTube channel. Don't forget the best quote is never confuse opportunity with geography. Pete, a person who's in a very different geography than I am. I appreciate your time, brother. It's been great getting to know you better uh, as a friend and as just a human being walking this planet. Um, but I look forward to our next conversation, whatever that may look like. Absolutely. So I, I truly cherish this time. Thank you so much. Take care, brother. Well, that wraps it up for my time with Pete. Uh, again, if you want to check out his website, that is petepetiti.com, P-E-T-E-P-E-T-I-T-T-I.com. Uh, his Instagram is just his name, at Petiti. And then the YouTube channel is P2 Total Performance Fitness with Paul Katami. 
Uh, that'll be all of those things can be linked down below in the description of this episode uh, that you're currently listening to. I hope that you are encouraged uh, by Pete's story. It, this was, I mean, for any of my listeners who listen to more than one episode, um, a lot of times it's a conversation. This was a story, and I got to give credit to Pete. It was a great story of just his journey to get to where he is now. Uh, if you haven't checked out his content, you need to. Um, I know that there are a lot of people in the entertainment world, a lot of people in the content creation world, um, but Pete is one of those unsung heroes that is coming up and making a name for himself, not just in California, but elsewhere. So uh, I know that some of us here in Texas, we may not know of him. If you're listening to this in California, I bet you know of him. And if you don't, you soon will. Um, so definitely, definitely keep an eye out for Pete because he's making moves and uh, he's making an impact. As you heard about being authentic, being vulnerable, meeting people where they are. And I, I wish that more people were like Pete in that aspect. So um, I just I wish him the best. And I hope that all of you listening to this podcast have a fantastic week. Um, and this should be coming out right around Christmas. So Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, that's all I got for you on the Mike Brown Podcast, the most authentic podcast you've ever heard. Take care.